Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat with Margaret McSweeney. That's me, your host here on webtalkradio.net. I am so delighted you are virtually joining me in my kitchen today, and we have a really fun guest that you will, oh, you, I just can't wait for you to hear all about him, and many of you know him, and he is just a great celebrity fixture here in the Chicagoland, and a wonderful food reporter on ABC News here in Chicago. You know him as the Hungry Hound. He's a James Beard Award winner for Best TV Food Segment. In fact, the Huffington Post calls him the nation's premier TV and radio food broadcaster because since 1995, he's won 12 James Beard Awards for his TV and radio work. And yes, he is off to New York shortly uh, for the the award-winning James Beard presentation tonight. Uh, He is up for another award for his segment on ABC. So I'm just so delighted to catch him in between um, in between his busy schedule. And before I introduce Steve to everyone, I just want to say a very heartfelt thank you, listeners. It will mark a year this week uh, that I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and you guys have really helped me through this unexpected lump in the road, and I am truly thankful for your outreach and for the opportunity to uh, broadcast Kitchen Chat. That has just really helped me through this, so I celebrate this with you, and who better else than to have on Kitchen Chat today, Steve Steve Delinsky, the guru of gourmet here in Chicagoland. Welcome to Kitchen Chat, Steve. Thanks, Margaret. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, you have one busy schedule. I mean, you are traveling the world, literally. And listeners, I will definitely put a link, stevedolinsky.com, to his fabulous blogs, recommendations, just a great, great resource, not only for you in Chicago listeners, but I know a lot of you are um, in other major cities and states, too, and he has a great resource for you there as well. But thank you for taking the time, Steve, and congratulations on yet another James Spirit Award nomination. Thank you. Yes, we're going for Lucky 13 this year. Wow. Uh, we'll come back uh, with, with the medallion from New York. But even if we don't, it's always a great experience just to be in New York for a couple of days. And, and you're right, I've been traveling a ton um, because I do some consulting outside of Chicago. For I, I teach chefs and, and mixologists how to be on camera. And so whenever I, I get one of those projects, it involves travel sometimes. So, 
Yeah, it's been a, I, I've been racking up the frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Indeed, and international as well, and I can't wait to chat about that too. But first, let's just um, bring it home to Chicago for a little bit. And speaking of James Beard Awards, I mean, you have some great company going along there. Um, several chefs, um, Paul, uh, K- and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correct, uh, Kayon, who was nominated for Outstanding Chef. Yes, Paul Kahn is up for Outstanding Chef again this year. Um, he's got some really serious company from the likes of David Chang in New York City and Suzanne Goen on the West Coast. Um, but, I, you know, again, I always feel like this could be Paul's year. He's right. had a fantastic year, you know, not just uh, with Blackbird and Avec, but the publican, and really manages to sort of keep his hands in all kinds of different projects, but really oversees the entire operation. And really, I mean, when you see a menu at Avec or or something at Publican that really is interesting or delicious that typically you know, stems from Paul's expertise. He's also working on another restaurant across the street from Gibson's um, up in the area fondly known as the Viagra Triangle, uh, which used to be, used to be a um, whiskey bar, a whiskey lounge, and it's going to be a new concept. I think it's going to be kind of an a, I think Italian or, or steakhouse, I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but... Uh, so he's got some stuff going on, and uh, just lots of you know, lots of Chicago nominees this year. Yes, and also Curtis Duffy with uh, Grace as best new restaurant. Right, so. and that was a little surprising, only because it was so new. I mean, it, hmm. the restaurant is barely a few months old, uh, if that. And by the you know the t- time the nominations come out in March, uh, means that the judges probably had to be discussing this in February, and the restaurant I don't think opened until. Maybe a month or two earlier, so it's it's pretty it's pretty new, for yeah. um, but it is certainly the category makes sense. It is up for best new restaurant in the country. That's exciting, and then of course some nominees for best chef Great Lakes. Um, many are from the Chicago area restaurants. Stephanie Izzard, um, uh, Dave Barron, Andrew Zimmerman, just a whole lot of uh, Chicago representation there. Yeah, and I think, you know, I hate to say there's anything that's sort of a guarantee, but I, my money would be on Dave Barron only because last year Next really missed out, I think, um, mm. or, and I thought they should have won for, um, I think it was uh, Rising Star Chef he was up for, and, um, I mean, Next might have been up for Best New Restaurant. I think it won Best New Restaurant. I can't remember now. But I, I think the money might be on Mr. Barron at Next because what they continue to do every three months change the entire restaurant over as if it's a brand-new restaurant. It's just super impressive, and just the execution alone is, is impressive. Wow, that that is great. Um, and I love to your video, and, and listeners, once again, I am going to put the link to his website, website com. and you have some great video blogs. Uh, you just, of course, interviewed Chef David Chang, but also um, you interviewed Chef Grant Atches, and um, just an amazing thing, because it was at the in London, right, the award yeah. for the top 50 restaurants in the world and were there right. some surprises that that you felt were um surprising yeah they um well, i've been working with this organization for the last five years they um it's, it's run by restaurant magazine in the uk and they wanted to make this not so eurocentric because the five years ago it was very eurocentric and so I came on as one of the academy judges, and what they do is they divide the world up into 26 different regions, 
Hmm. And five years ago, there was one region that was just basically North America, and it was you know Canada and the U.S. And that region, like the other regions, had 30 voters within it. So obviously, if there are only 30 voters on this side of the pond, and there are, you know, every country almost over in Europe has 30 judges, you can see where the weight is going to go. So hmm. over the years, we've changed it so that now we have North America East, North America West, North America Central. So and we've also upped the number of judges to 35 judges per region. So now, between Canada and the U.S., we have um, 105 judges. Hmm. And, and so of those... 35 in my region, which essentially runs down the middle of, of North America, um, I look for an equal balance of, and in fact we're required to have an equal balance of uh, chefs, restaurateurs, and writers or broadcasters, and gastronomes or gastronauts, people who essentially <laughs> travel around the world and eat. So we, and then, of course, every year we, we swing in 10 new judges. We, we rotate out 10 judges so that there's at least some freshness to the list every year. And then we, we require that if you're going to be judging a restaurant, you have to have eaten there in the last 18 months. Hmm. And they typically vote for seven restaurants. Four have to be within their region. So if, if you were one of my judges, let's just say, mm -hmm. um, you lived in Chicago, your region would be essentially, you know, down the middle of the country, down to New Orleans, and then up into Canada, Ontario. Um, and you would have to choose four restaurants in that region. And then you would choose three restaurants from outside of that region. So it could be the East Coast, the West Coast, Europe, anywhere. So that's kind of how we set up the judging. So there are about 936 voters around the world. Hmm. And we vote anonymously. You go online and vote. And this is, that's how the 50 list is created. And like you said, there's been some movement this year. You know, last year, Alinea, which is in Chicago, dropped from six to seven, and I think Grant Ackett's was probably rightfully a little upset about that. Mm. And this year it dropped to 15, and one of the reasons I'm guessing is because a lot of people now are traveling to places like Lima, Peru, and Mexico City, Scandinavia, uh. and, and so those restaurants are falling into their list of those, those three restaurants that they can vote for outside of their region, rather than in the linea. And I, also, when you look at how people travel, if they're coming from other countries, Mm -hmm. When they go to the U.S., they tend to go to usually the coasts. They go to San Francisco if they're coming from Asia or, or L.A., or if they're coming from Europe, they go to New York, you know, and down the eastern seaboard or Montreal. So Chicago, it's a little, you know, it's a bit of a struggle, um, but the mm -hmm. fact that Grant, you know, continues to bring people here is important. It's just that I think the list is becoming a bit more diluted in a good way. You know, it's, yes. the voters are now spreading out around the globe. And I have definitely learned a new term, gastronauts. I love that. Yeah, gastronauts. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And, and speaking of list, uh, listeners, you will really enjoy checking out Steve's top five list on his website. This is oh, such yeah. a great thing, such a great resource. Uh, top five Peking ducks in Chicago. Top five cheap gourmet. I, I love it. Um, what would be your top five now that um, we have a big weekend? coming up top five list for restaurants to eat for Cinco de Mayo oh geez uh, well uh, you know it depends if you want to go sort of the cheesy uh, Coronas and guacamole or if you want to go like regional Mexican but I would uh, there's a place that I'm featuring uh, today in our news at 11 called mm -hmm. Maya del Sol in Oak Park which mm -hmm. does a pretty nice job with ceviches which I, I kind of liked 
I would definitely recommend one of the Rick Bayless restaurants, you know, like a, yes. a Shoko for sandwiches or a Frontera for lunch or, you know, a really nice uh, throw-down Mexican regional dinner at Topolobampo. Mm-hmm. Um, probably would throw a selfie cone in there in Old Town. Uh, I would probably have, um, oh, what is the the guy? I just went to a place called Agua Miel in Clarendon Hills. Ooh. This gentleman worked for Rick Bayless for 19 years. Wow. He really knows how to make mole. So very, very serious Mexican. Um, yeah, and if you're out in Geneva, I would hit Bientruca for outstanding, um, just outstanding Mexican food, but mainly the tacos. Oh, that does sound great. And you know what else I love about your website, Steve, is you not only feature favorite restaurants uh, and, and dishes in Chicago, but you can scroll down and check on San Francisco, New York, just uh, Toronto, just a variety of places. I mean, and it, it's it's just wonderful. You're a, a great Google search <laughs> for those. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I get around. I mean, I, I do travel quite a bit, so um, that, that does help. It helps yes. to have, uh, you know, when I'm traveling somewhere, I want to make sure that I take some notes and um, let people know. Yes. You know, I noticed that in a recent interview, you mentioned that a lot of the fine dining establishments in Chicago were shuttering, i.e. Charlie Trotter's um, Avenues at Peninsula Dining Room um, at Ritz-Carlton. Are you seeing this uh, just kind of a global trend? Um, what are you noticing in, in that regard? Well, you know, there has been some old guard, new guard. I mean, the new guard that would be considered probably Goosefoot up in the Lincoln Square, which is a BYOB and a set menu and very high-end tasting menu. And then places like Acadia and the South Loop, which have a very high-end tasting menu as well. And then, of course, Grace is brand new. So there mm-hmm. are some places that have kind of filled that void a bit. Okay. Um, but, you know, two years ago, it was looking pretty grim for fine dining. And I think... It, the, the casualization of dining is sort of taking root all over the country, and people don't want to get dressed up and have a, a four-hour dinner anymore. You know, they want to do it in less than three if they can. And I think, you know, as as high-end as Grace is, um, they do kind of they try to get you out in under three hours because they know that people's time is limited, and you just get exhausted sitting too long. Um, you can only right. see people so much. So. I do think it's getting more casual. I think, like you know, I'm packing my for my trip to New York. I'm really only packing one jacket to, to be dressed hmm. up. You know, most of my dining is going to be relatively casual. Wow. And what is your favorite restaurant in New York to go while you're there for the weekend? I really, really love Nomad at the Nomad Hotel. It's from the team uh, behind 11 Madison Park. I had a great uh-huh. meal there last time I was in New York. Uh, but I tend to also do Chinatown in Flushing or Chinatown in Manhattan mm-hmm. um, in some and I'll probably go to uh, Korean Barbecue on 32nd Street in Koreatown. But uh, I really like Nomad. Last time I was there, um, I, I heard a lot about Red Farm. I'm going to probably go check out as well. Great. Great. And do you go to the – I lived in New York many, many moons ago, and I would so enjoy Sunday uh, dim sum at the Silver um, – is it the Silver Palace? Is that still oh, around? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Chinatown. That's the enormous – Yes. Yeah, yeah. That is a great place. Oh, that is great. Um, Do you think maybe one of the reasons there is, you know, I know time is a a reason too with the fine dining establishments too, but do you think it's also indicative of a trend that there are more home chefs who are preparing gourmet meals at home? 
Yeah, well, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'd I like to think that, but I, I don't <laughs> think that people are, are cooking as much as we would like to think that they are. Right, um, right. People watch a lot of food television. Yes. Do a lot of sort of voyeuristic you know, <laughs> sort of experiencing, you know, um, watching people cook. But right. I think at the end of the day, people people like to go out. People yeah, people don't true. feel like they can do all the cooking themselves. So, I mean, but there are more services I've noticed for sort of concierge cooking. Like people will do all the mise en place, all the prep for you, and mm-hmm. then deliver it to you with recipe instructions. And I've seen a couple companies oh. now in Chicago that are doing that kind of delivery, which is sort of cool because. One of my gripes is like, oh, I got to go shopping and I got to do all the prep and I'd rather just right. cook. And uh-huh. so this sort of makes it easier for people who like to cook but who don't want to do all that prep. And that's great. And I, you know, and as my listeners know, and I don't know if I've shared with you, Steve, I am the world's worst cook. So it's ironic, I know, that I have this little cooking <laughs> show on food. But, but I, I have a question for you because I, I got a lot of comfort in the fact that your mom didn't really cook either. So, and here you've become this incredible food, <laughs> uh, foodie aficionado and, and guru of gourmet. Um, how, real quickly, how did that happen? What, what inspired you to um, become just a, an expert on food? It's so funny you mention that because my mom was one of the world's worst cooks. Um, <laughs> she, it was really a chore for her. And, you know, she, I had an older brother and a sister quite a bit older than I was. And I think by the time I came around, she was sort of done. And mm. we also kept kosher, and we also lived in St. Cloud, Minnesota, which did not have a huge you know, Jewish population or kosher uh, deli. So it was a little bit tougher. We'd have to drive to Minneapolis, which is about an hour south of us, to get all of our produce, or get, get all our meat, I should say. Mm. So it was just a bit more of a challenge for us. And mm-hmm. I think when I got to school in Madison, Wisconsin, at UW, I realized, wow, there's all this other food out there beyond lamb chops. Um, <laughs> and you know, and I, I never really had, I never had pork before. I never had really, I never had milk and meat together. Um, so it, it was very different. And I got, my, my eyes opened up at 18, and uh, that kind of was the, the catalyst for me, just sort of eating ethnically and um, trying to cook a little bit and reading food magazines, and I had a sister-in-law uh, from mm-hmm. Australia, my brother's wife, who was really into food, and she sent me some of these really beautiful, colorful cookbooks. They're actually sort of like, they look like thick magazines, actually, but mm. they're from the Australian Women's Weekly Guide or Australian Women's Home Weekly, and they had these beautiful res- recipes for Thai food that I just, you know, made you want to cook. So yeah. I, that, I sort of took it upon myself when I would get to these my first job in Upper Michigan or, or when I was in Iowa, to run to the grocery store and just try to make these dishes, and that was kind of fun for me. And I just, it just kept snowballing every year. The more I got into it, the more I cooked, the more I ate. You know, I remember when I was in Upper Michigan, my first job out of college in Escanaba, there was a little. I had to drive 50 miles to the town of um, it was Iron Mountain or no Menominee mm-hmm. or Marinette, in Michigan, and to cover the court uh, court trials there. And there was a little Thai restaurant across the street from the courthouse, and I got to be friends with the owners and um, just, you know, fell head over heels in love with the food. Oh. And I would literally drive down there once a week, 50 miles, um, and have lunch or have dinner just because wow. I just got hooked on the food. So it just really snowballed to the point where when I got to Chicago, um, I was living in Lincoln Park, and I was a news reporter. I hadn't been doing food yet, and just really... Um, just immerse myself in the food culture in Chicago. I just you know, did not buy groceries 
for probably two months, my first two months here, I just kind of made my way out from my apartment in concentric circles, just kind of hitting <laughs> Uncle Tanus and Ito and Sushi and you know everything mm-hmm. I could with my neighborhood. Oh, that is great. And I love that you cook. And I also read that you have made dumplings with Linda Yu at her house. <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed. You've done your research. Yes, I have done, made dumplings with Linda Yu at her house. She's a big foodie. Linda loves to eat. Um, she is a blast to go eat dim sum with, you know, partly because she's speaking Mandarin, but um, also just because she loves to eat. Uh, and oh. she just gets into it and digs in hands, hands first and, um, you know, you kind of fight over the eyeballs and the fish or the, the fish cheek. <laughs> you know, she loves to nibble on it. You should see her eat a chicken wing. I mean, when it's done, it's literally just bone. That is it. That so, is impressive. Oh, yeah, how she, fun. Yeah, so we, we bonded right away. We started talking about food, and she just, uh, I mean, our, you know, our families are very interchangeable, which is really fun when we go out to eat. Oh, that is great. Now, is there anyone else out there you would, would like to cook with? Any particular chef or um, anyone you haven't cooked with yet that you would like to? You mean in Chicago or in the country? In the country, anywhere. Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, I think what David Chang is doing is really fascinating. I'd love to spend like an hour just kind of working with him, watching him. Mm -hmm. Um, I I also kind of like Mark Bittman from the New York Times just because of his approach. I like how he writes about food. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, Amanda Hester, who used to be the New York Times. Yes, I, she was on Kitchen Chat. So delightful. I would love to go to her kitchen and see her spice drawers. They sound amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's great. She's great. I mean, like, another kind of person I'd love to just sort of spend some time in the kitchen with. But, you know, unfortunately, just having that kind of luxury time is so rare these days for me, it seems Right. Like. Oh, I know. And, and you just, it just sounds like you should be a reality show, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I mean, all these exciting trips. I mean, and and your recent trip, and 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 listeners, you can read all about it on his fascinating blog. You went to Seoul and and Japan and um, it, it, in Tokyo, and you blog about these amazing um, dishes. And I I tell you, I I watched a video, your video on how to roast a pig in a. Is it a Kaja Koja China box? Kahachina. <laughs> Kahachina, okay. the Chinese box. Yes, La Kahachina. Yes. I love those boxes. That. Yes, I've become a, a big fan of those roasting boxes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of started as a kind of a, a joke seven, eight years ago for my birthday in the summer, and it's sort of snowballed into this crazy pig roast we do in the back alley every year. Well, so you actually roasted in a Kahachina box then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We roast it in the box. Um, it's lakahachina.com, and the boxes are shipped out to people, um, and they, people put it, to, put it together themselves. Very easy to put together, much easier than Ikea. And it takes about 20 minutes to assemble, and you're essentially roasting the pig in the box above ground, and on the top of the box is where you put your charcoals, and it essentially creates an outdoor oven. And wow. you can do about pigs you know, from 65 pounds up to 90 pounds, and it cooks them in about four hours. It's really, really easy. Oh, that is amazing. And, I, I mean, the videos, it's like a whole educational, and, and I'm just learning, you know, on my, I'm at the beginning of my little culinary journey, so I have learned so much from your videos. That's so a great resource, listeners. And speaking of listeners, I do want to get to your questions. Um, Maureen wrote in and said, what are, and I'm sorry about my mispronunciation here, what are Mandelbrot and Sizimis? Or T Z I M M E S. 
Timis. Mandelbrot oh, and Timis. Oh, okay. Timis is kind of a starchy uh, side dish we have during the Jewish holidays with, like, uh, carrots and sweet potato. It's usually kind of orange and brown, and I think it's, there's dates uh, in there as well. It's really, it's, I think, um, it either makes you constipated or it clears your constipation. <laughs> um, and then Mandelbrot is essentially biscotti. It's a, a twice-baked uh, Jewish cookie. Um, and it sort of looks like a biscotti also. It's usually got that kind of similar shape, but you, it's baked twice. And um, I remember having those in Manischewitz boxes uh, that we would buy from the kosher deli in Minneapolis when I was a kid. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Oh, and then you'll really enjoy this one. Chrissy, who is a, a dear friend and a listener here in the northwest suburbs, mentioned that you married her friend Amy from high school. Oh. Uh, yes, yes. And she asked, what foods do your children love that other children probably wouldn't eat? Definitely kimchi. My 12-year-old son, Max, loves kimchi, especially after we went to Seoul recently. And um, my daughter loves congee. Her favorite food in the world is congee, which is a rice porridge that is essentially white rice cooked and cooked and cooked with uh, chicken stock and served during dim sum usually. And there's usually bits of pork and preserved egg in the congee. And that, I mean, that really was Madeline's first food, I think, that we fed her when she was a little kid. So most kids kind of turn their noses up at that, but Madeline adjusted so I just love seeing her eat it. It's just, it gives me such pleasure. That is so, and that's so great that at such a young age, they are really discovering a variety of taste. And, and, and that, that your son traveled with you on your Far East tour. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, want to bring them, I want to bring them everywhere. And I, you know, like the other thing that Max loves is raw oysters. And he's become wow. kind of a aficionado. And I took him to Toronto last year for a hockey trip, and we went to place, a place called Oyster Boy on Queen Street, which is fantastic in Toronto. And, you know, he's asking, are they Fanny Bays? Are they Cushies? I mean, I, you know, he knows wow. more than most adults about, about oysters, which is great. But, I, you know, we, we exposed them early and often, and we never really gave in and did the mac and cheese and, and fast food. And, mm-hmm. like, this morning I was driving my daughter to school, and we had a, kind of a long drive, and she was a little hungry, and I said, do you want to stop for an egg McMuffin or something? And I'd now, I would never ask that usually. But she sort of <laughs> looked at me like I was crazy, really. She's like, no, we're not going to. She doesn't, they don't do fast food at all, um, wow. probably because they've read about it. We, we went to go see Food, Inc. They mm-hmm. know a lot about, you know, the sort of the industrial food complex, mm-hmm. but also because they just really have a heightened palate because it's just years wow. of, going out to eat with us, um, and so they have pretty high standards. I really, I really feel bad about my girlfriend, or my, my daughter's first boyfriend, because <laughs> he's going to have a tough time in terms of impressing her, and she's yes. not going to stand for a burger joint. <laughs> well, maybe she'll marry a, a top chef. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> That's great. Oh, and, and that is wonderful in terms of introducing your children at an early age to just the flavors of the world. And, and what a gift. Um, and speaking of kind of flavors of the world, too, uh, Lynn wrote in and said, if you had to pick one of your favorite Chicago food tours, which one would it be? Oh, um, there is a food tour. I cannot think of it. I did a story on them a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to say it's Chicago Food Tour. Uh, I cannot think of the name, but maybe I could Google it while I'm talking to you. Yeah. They were really good. I did a story on them, and um, they, went, they do like a three-hour 
tour, and we went to Chinatown, but they mm-hmm. also do tours in Wicker Park and Bucktown. Um, oh. Chicago Food Planet Tours, ChicagoFoodPlanet.com. ChicagoFoodPlanet.com, wonderful. Well, I was really brave last summer, and thank goodness there were no cameras. <laughs> I went on a bicycle food tour. It was like the maiden voyage. (laughs) I know. And it was really interesting. I mean, I have not been on a bicycle in like five years. So that was the main challenge of riding a bike in the Chicago streets. But it was kind of a really fun way to to see places. And uh, we went to, it was the dessert tour, of course. So um, we went to to some fun toffee shops and and bakeries and all of that. But so the Chicago planet Food is that uh, you're, you're walking or okay? Chicago Food Planet, great. Yeah, you usually meet somewhere and then you we walk together. But there's always like a little history and a little culture and a little taste, and uh, it's it's great. Oh, that does sound great. And and I know you need to rush off and catch the plane to New York. But but one other question in celebration of uh, National Food Truck Week, <laughs> what is your favorite kind of food truck here in Chicago? And do you think that's going to continue to be a growing um, option for diners? I, I don't know if it's going to be only because it's so tough you know, to cook on the trucks. I, yeah. I really haven't. I really honestly haven't had a great food truck experience because everything I've had has been warmed up um, or, kept, or kept warm, you know, because they're not able to cook on them. And so the, the few that are able to cook, there's like one or two that are able to actually cook on the trucks have to be, you know, kept to such stringent guidelines and really uh, it makes it difficult for them to sort of be spontaneous. They have to print out their routes ahead of time, send them to someone that can't be within 200 feet of another restaurant. I mean, you can't really be in a high-traffic area because of that rule the city council passed. So um, I just haven't had a great food truck experience yet in Chicago. And there are a couple that I need to try Mm -hmm. um, or cooking, but I just, yeah, jury's still out for me on that one. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. And also because of the weather, you know. Yeah. You have to do something in the wintertime, and there's just no way they can do it in the winter. Oh, that's true. Now, in your travels, have you seen any kind of interesting trends in some of the other uh, culinary capitals that you feel that would really be great for Chicago that you haven't yes. really seen here? Yes, I'll I'll tell you this one thing, and then I'm going to have to run. Yes, yes. One thing in Portland, Oregon, uh, I did a story for the Tribune a few months ago on the food carts there, and they're really food pods. They're areas of like abandoned um, surface parking lots. Or just anywhere where there's like a surface area where you can park a couple of trucks in a, a loop or in a circle, and mm. people kind of come and sort of shop in comparison, and and then they'll have tables maybe in the middle, like picnic tables that are covered by some tenting, and you can eat your lunch or dinner there and late into the night. And so they're making mm. great use of spaces that are kind of abandoned and vacant, but yeah. like even in downtown, there's a parking lot that is just ringed by food carts the entire way. And wow. I think that's what Chicago needs to do is create some kind of a pod system rather than having, you know, lone rangers out there kind of driving around. Yes. So it's like a, a massive tailgate party. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Chicagoans love that kind of action. 
Definitely. Oh, how fun. Well, I just wish you all the best in New York at the James Beard Award listeners. I'm, I'm just so thrilled that Steve is on um, today, and you can always catch him on The Hungry Count. The Hungry Hound on ABC 7 News here in Chicago. And also check out his website, stevedolinsky.com. Follow him on Twitter, all of that fun stuff. And I hope you'll come back to the show another time, Steve. Definitely. It went so quickly. I'm sorry I got to run, but this was fun. No, this is great. And listeners, please remember to take the time and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.